You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. What better way to talk college football than with the Mac? Some great teams in that conference. Last year's surprise, Western Michigan. Head coach P.J. Fleck, Zach Terrell, Corey Davis. All gone from last year. New head coach and new optimism, but they do lose Tom Flacco, who now transfers to Rutgers Rich. This can be an intriguing development of situation. When you look at this team overall, they do have two solid running backs in Bogan and Franklin, and they do have one of the top playmakers in the defensive secondary in Darius Phillips. But I think this team might take a step back in 2017. Well, I mean, I think they take a dramatic step back. It's it's tough, you know, with, with the losses. You lose your quarterback in Zach Terrell, P.J. Fleck, obviously now at Minnesota. You hit the heights last year with a perfect regular season before the bowl loss to Wisconsin. So the only way is back. It's just a matter of how far back does Western Michigan slip. Quarterback is going to be a concern. John Wasink, the sophomore, now is going to take over. He's been named the starter. We know nothing about him because we <laughs> haven't seen him at all. So you know we don't know what the expectations are. But I think... From from a macro standpoint, Joe, Western Michigan, the, the holdovers, they learned what it took to be a championship squad. And there's real value in that. I, I, there will be a lot of new starters, uh, most notably at quarterback. But they now know what it takes to be a championship quarterback to go toe-to-toe uh, with a Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl. That's a big deal. I, I think that's really going to help this team to ensure that they don't fall off a cliff. This is still one of the two or three best teams in the conference. When you think of this conference overall, Rich, I mean, you think of, like, Ohio, Pennsylvania. You think in that football-rich high school areas that they recruit from. But there's some quarterbacks in this conference that a lot of people might not have heard about. Logan Woodside from Toledo, Brogan Roback with Eastern Michigan. I mean, one guy that I know you're high on, Gus Raglin from Miami O. Good friend Terry Bowden has Tommy Woodson. I mean, when you look at the quarterback play from top to bottom, I mean, there's some kids that can play on the next level here. And there always are. I mean, on the Mac, always has been a developer of unheralded talent at a lot of positions, but quarterback comes to mind. I really do like Gus Raglan. In fact, I love Chuck Martin's program in general. The Red Hawks really came on last year. I think that trend continues this season. And, and you know, Miami quarterbacks, there have been plenty. Ben Roethlisberger was a Miami Red Hawk. So, you know, this is a conference that every single season develops hard-nosed, try-hard, developmental prospects, uh, many of whom that go on to play on Sundays. Yeah, and you look at two guys last year in Zach Terrell and Cooper Rush, cerebral quarterbacks. I mean, these two quarterbacks last year made solid decisions. They were National Football Foundation scholar athletes. So these are players that are not just doing it on the field. They're doing it in the classroom. So when we come back, we'll talk about some of the great players in the conference this season. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on College Football Today. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Kicking around the Mac. We talked about some of the players within the conference. We mentioned Zach Terrell and Cooper Rush last year. NFF scholar athletes. Rich, when I look at some of the quarterbacks, we'll turn our attention to Logan Woodside and Toledo. Uh, They lose leading rusher Kareem Hunt, but they do have some playmakers like Terry Swanson and Cody Thompson at the wide receiver position. This team could be loaded for 2017. Uh, This team will be loaded. Toledo traditionally... um I mean, they're called the Rockets. Of course, they're explosive. <laughs> it's it's built right into the uh, into the branding. Yeah, uh, Logan Woodside was marvelous last year. Uh, sat out the prior season. Did not play in 2015. Really, just exploded out of the gates last year. Has a lot of good skill talent around him. You mentioned Cody Thompson, John Vay Johnson. Uh, also a talented receiver. And, and I think Terry Swanson is is perfect for this situation. He's played a lot. He's experienced. He's a senior. Now it's his time to shine, possibly get some attention from NFL scouts. So offense is not the issue. Defense could be a problem for this team as they look to win a MAC championship for the first time in a very long time. And when you see the the progression of the conference in terms of players to the NFL, I mean, it, it's not just one guy. It's a group of guys now, guys like Eric Fisher that has moved on to Kansas City, a guy like Khalil Mack that stepped up his game, uh, another guy last year, Jactavius Brown with San Diego, and even Antonio Brown that played at Central Michigan. So we're seeing a hotbed now of NFL talent within this conference so we, we might be making some noise in the next decade uh, in terms of NFL players coming out of the, the MAC. Well, and I think what really speaks to that, it's a timely comment, Joe, because last year was the first time where the MAC sent a team to, you know, to a major bowl right. game. They'd sent them to a New York, New York Six Bowl game in Western Michigan. So, you know, that was representative. That was sort of symbolic of the potential of this conference. Now that Western Michigan looks like they'll be down a little bit, you have other teams scrapping to fill that void, not just as a MAC title winner, but also, you know, they saw how much fun it was to go to a Cotton Bowl. Now the Toledos, the Miamis, the Ohio Bobcats, Northern Illinois. How about Northern Illinois? They've been down for the past couple of seasons. They want to get back. They were there a few years ago. What? In the Orange Bowl, right? Yeah, and I'll t- you know, I just another name came to mind that I failed to mention, and, and no disrespect, Riley Neal with Ball State. He's another quarterback you have to throw into the mix as being just playmakers that can possibly take his game to the next level in years to come. We'll stick with Toledo. I think when you look at Toledo and what matters, Matt Campbell did there in his couple of years. Uh, he did move on to become the head coach at Iowa State, and they were 3-9 and nine last year, and I think he's got them going in the right direction. But I will say this about Toledo. From an offensive line perspective, Rich, one of the top offensive lines each and every season in terms of sacks allowed. I mean, they were in the top third again of FBS. When you protect your quarterback and give him time, you allow him to make his reads and progressions, and your offense will score points. And that, that's what you're going to get traditionally from MAC programs. You touched on it in the last segment. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Midwest kids, good linemen, solid linemen, good fundamentals, blocking and tackle really, really matter and really preached at the high school level. 
And that's what you're getting in those kids. And I, I don't want to disrespect the Mac in any way, but I think of it sort of as, you know, it's like the minor leagues of the Big Ten. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. These are kids who are getting their opportunity to play FBS college football, face those Big Ten teams in September, despite the fact that they might have been a little overlooked, a little too small, a little too slow at the high school level. But now they're getting their chance, and they are really developing into pro-caliber type players. And I'll say this as well. It's not just the players, Rich. It's the coaches, because you have a great mix of young head coaches like P.J. Fleck that now has moved on to become the head coach at Minnesota, and some old, wily veterans like Frank Solich at Ohio and my good friend, he, he'll kill me for that one. Terry Bowden, the former Auburn head coach, and uh, has moved on and, uh, to Akron and has done a fantastic job there. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago. But what he was able to do in terms of turning around the mindset and the program in Akron, the worst college football team in FBS, they were 2-22 and in his two years prior to coming there in 2011 and has since turned around the program, Rich. He brought their first bowl victory in terms of an FBS bowl and the most wins since they made the move to FBS eight, two years ago. He's done a fantastic job, and the facilities are incredible. So you really have a great mix of young and old head coaches that really make this conference from top to bottom solid, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, what what did the Mac was long called the cradle of coaches? Uh, you know, going back to Arab Parsegan, who recently passed, the Mac has always been a developer of coaches a breeding ground for coaches to learn their craft and then to move on to major conferences and and i think we'll continue to see that i like that juxtaposition of the older coaches the frank soliches the bowdens you know you along with the younger coaches because now pj fleck goes to minnesota i think in the coming years jason candle at toledo will be a hot commodity for for uh athletic directors at larger programs I think Chuck Martin at Miami, a rock-solid coach who did well at Notre Dame, was well-respected at Notre Dame, could also have an opportunity if he continues to do well with the Redhawks. I'll throw another name that I like the way he coaches. He's a blue-collar guy, John Bonamigo with Central Michigan. But let's not forget, where did Nick Saban start out? He, he was a Kent State yep. head coach yep. before he made the switch to become the head coach at Michigan State. So, uh, I mean, when you talk about one of the best coaches in college football, the best, he started his coaching career in the MAC. Where was Urban Meyer? Yeah, absolutely. Bowling right. Green. Exactly. Right. Urban Meyer's first head coaching job before getting to Utah was at Bowling Green. So for traditionalists, for people who really love this sport that we love, there's a lot of good football happening in the Mid-American Conference. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I know you're high on Gus Raglan, and I, I couldn't agree more. In terms of what he was able to do now, they lost a very tough ball game to Mississippi State. Dan Mullen last year. It was a, a nip-and-tuck game for much of the way. It was in uh, St. Petersburg there. I mean, I, I thought they played very well, but very impressed with Gus Raglan. I mean, 17 touchdown passes, only one interception. Rich, he makes solid decisions, and, and when you look at his progression now moving on into 2017 he's a player you have to keep an eye out on yeah last year uh 17 touchdown passes one pick and this is a player who had limited experience going into last season so the expectations are that he now takes the next step and really becomes a more competent a more complete quarterback i also like the fact that 
who he succeeded, Billy Ball, is also on the roster. So now you have quarterback depth. Injuries, inevitable. They experienced it last year. So now they have not just one quarterback with starting experience, but two quarterbacks with starting experience. And that's always good for a head coach because he can roll the dice. You could use a team in Wisconsin last year. Everybody talks about Alex Hornibrook's progression, but you forgot that Bart Houston, the senior quarterback, was waiting in the wings should something go on. And Paul Chris utilized both of those quarterbacks, especially in the combo game against Western Michigan. So uh, it's always good to have that experience behind a young starter. So that way, if he does falter, the team will not miss a beat in terms of at least play calling and, and game planning. In terms of Miami, Joe, 16 starters back on a team that finished last season on a tear, 0-6 to start the season, yet become bowl eligible. Now that's endemic to the bowl system that we have right now, in which 6-6 six and six will get you to the postseason. But the fact that they could use Mississippi State as a measuring stick, an SEC team, yes, it was a loss, yes, it hurt, but they went toe-to-toe with an SEC football team, Nick Fitzgerald, Dan Mullen, 17-16 loss. I think that has a positive carryover effect for this team that now says we're hot, we know we can compete with an SEC team, and we're going to take that mindset into 2017. Yeah, that's a great point. We'll see how it plays out for, for Miami O as they move th- and navigate through the MAC. I will say this: I want to I want to talk about Akron quickly because they do have a couple of players there. Ulysses Gilbert that took over for Justin March and Jactavius Brown there at the linebacker position a couple of years ago. Uh, but Warren Ball, the fo- former Ohio State running back could be a difference maker within this conference, did get hurt after the game against Wisconsin, missed the rest of the year. He could be a dynamic player in the conference this season. Especially since he's a senior, Joe, because you know that this is his audition time. This is his opportunity to strut in front of NFL scouts, so you're going to see the best of Warren Ball, assuming he's healthy. I agree. It does It does hinge their success on the quarterback, Tommy Hodson. He was injured late in the season last year, so uh, how does he progress as we navigate through fall camp. We'll wait and see. We're just getting started. This is what it's all about. When we come back, we'll be talking to former Notre Dame running back, Alan Pickett. We'll get his take on the Fighting Irish. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on college football today. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello talking a little Mac conference. We turn our attention to Notre Dame. What better way to talk about Notre Dame football than with a former running back? He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity guest line. Want to welcome in former Notre Dame running back and NFL running back Alan Pinkett. Alan, how are you this morning? Great to be with you, Joe. Always a pleasure. Alan, I want to get right into it. Uh, four and eight last year, unacceptable by Notre Dame standards. In your opinion, is Brian Kelly and this team on the hot seat to succeed in 2017? You know, I really look at last year as, as an aberration. Of course, we'll find out the first month if this team is any good. But, you know, one of the things, one of the takeaways I had from last year was even though they lost eight games, in seven of those eight games, 
they were in position at the end of the game to either win or tie. So that let me know that the guys didn't give up on him. You know, my observation was they were just very, very young, and when you have, you know, a lot of freshmen and sophomores playing, you have to live with their mistakes. And so I think that uh, the losing season got Coach Kelly's attention, and you do have some of those fans who will ask for his head after eight victories instead of eight losses. Uh, but I think that they're a, a much more mature team. And looking at Kelly now, he, he has a certain type of confidence. Like, he's walking around with a secret that he thinks he's got a good football team, but he wants to be kind of quiet about it. So I think that, uh, you know, just Notre Dame being able to go back to a bowl game will quiet most of Notre Dame Nation. You're always going to have some of those that think Notre Dame should be contending for national championships every year, but that doesn't happen. Hey, Alan, Rich Sermonello, can you uh, give fans who are unfamiliar with Brandon Wimbush what type of a quarterback they can expect to see this season? Well, first of all, I will say that Coach Kelly is salivating over the opportunity to have Brandon Wimbush run this offense. Uh, He has always been the best athlete when it was uh, him, Deshaun Kaiser, and Malik Zaire. In fact, the first time he touched the football, uh, he ran it for 56 yards. And his his first pass, he overthrew Will Fuller, which is pretty hard to do Hmm. since he had the fastest 40 time in the combine when uh, he came out last year. So he's very dynamic. Uh, He is a guy who's going to be able to extend drives uh, with his feet. Uh, He's like having a running back in the backfield. Uh, He's the type of quarterback that Kelly really likes to have back there, that that dual threat. But one of the things I was impressed with was uh, when I went to the spring game, his location with his football. You know, where he put the football, how well did he spin it, how was his decision-making, and all those things I was impressed with. So I'm excited about the the possibility of Brandon Winbush leading this football team. Alan, when you look at the tradition of Notre Dame, I mean, I I feel, and I was a big proponent against them putting turf. I I mean, that's, in my opinion, you can't do that at Notre Dame. I understand from the recruiting aspect, but you look at this team last year, they lost at home to Duke. They lost at home to Virginia Tech and Stanford as well. They need to regain that home field advantage. Uh, why did they lose at home in those ball games, in your opinion? Uh, because in order for them to have success, they need to maintain that home field advantage. Well, you know, a lot of teams that come in there now are not intimidated. They are inspired. They know that, you know, in some people's books, this is the cathedral of college football. So it's a game that they point to that they're going to have their best effort, and, and Notre Dame have to be able to match that energy. And in all those games you mentioned, all those losses, they had decent first half leads, but just couldn't couldn't finish the the games off. Now, having said that, uh, one of the first things that I noticed when I went to the spring game. All the bodies look good. You know, muscles were in the places that they're supposed to be. They've got a new <laughs> strength coach. And, and so they, they all look good. And then the first practice, um, everybody was talking about how their endurance was so much better. They were waiting for the practice to get hard. They were waiting to get tired. 
and it's all credit to this guy, Matt Bayless, who has really worked him in the offseason. And so I think that of all the coaches that they brought in, this one's got the most acclaim, and this one's going to be the one that makes the difference uh, when they get in those games and get in the second half and don't run out of gas. You know, I'm, I'm going to dovetail off that, Alan. Uh, you mentioned new faces. I, I wanted to get your take on uh, how the transition is going with new uh, offensive coordinator Chip Long, new def- defensive coordinator Mike Elko. New coaches, I'm excited about it, but is that a transition that you think will have any lag period early in September? Well, just uh, you know, following some of the reports and you know, watching what they're doing, it's a really business-like atmosphere, uh, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that they're they're more mature this year, uh, and you know, I, I think that after last year. I mean, they are really eager to right that wrong. And so I think it's going to be a good transition because guys want to win, and now they want to work hard. And there's really been more of an emphasis on being focused and being smart and, you know, playing smart. So I think it's a total of seven new coaches when you include the strength coach. Uh, But uh, there's been no – reports about you know somebody being the weak link uh, and i think it's because they are all focused on doing so much better than they did last year alan when you look at the defensive front seven and uh, i'm gonna piggyback that as well the problem for me in terms of the reason why they haven't really taken the next step is they're inconsistent in run support they allowed 180 rushing yards per game last year two years ago it was 176 and in 2014 it was 171 there's been a slow progression the other way in terms of their wearing down at the point of attack and is that the reason for the coaching moves in your opinion well, I would have to say uh, under Van Gorder, um, which he's a brilliant defensive mind, but he, he basically had an NFL defense with guys you can only spend 20 hours a week with. And so I think that deterred some of their play the last couple of years. Uh, and, you know, once they once he was gone, they were able to do a little more reading and reacting. And ironically enough, you know, because, yes, I sit up in that booth and watch these teams run for all those yards. Uh, you wonder if they're going to be able to stop somebody. But uh, Coach Kelly said that at this point in training camp, the defense is ahead of the offense, and it's a new feeling for him. It's a nice feeling for him. Uh, but I think credit goes to the defensive coordinator, uh, Mike Elko, who has – put in a system that will allow them to read and react. And uh, you spouted off those rushing numbers. Those guys in that locker room know about those numbers too. <laughs> so they're going to try and do something about <laughs> You know, one defensive player that has me intrigued, Alan, is Sean Crawford. I, I think prior to his injury, he looked like the kind of disruptor that that defense really needed. Is, is this the year where we get to see the full potential of Sean Crawford the corner? You know, I, I hope so, because you know what number he wears? 20, so, <laughs> which is my number. Uh, <laughs> yes, they, they did lose a lot when they lost him. And that kid has been so positive 
Uh, he's just been unfortunate with injury. But, you know, you hope that this can be the year where he can put everything together. Uh, I'll throw a couple other names out there, though, that really, really impressed me in the in the spring game. And you know how the spring game is so vanilla. Uh, they're not really trying to show anything. But this guy, Drew Tranquil, was just all over the place. And this is a guy who has damaged both knees, but now he's got his legs back. He's making plays all over the field. And another name I'll throw out, which is in that front seven, uh, Dalen Hayes. He had four sacks in the in the spring game, and you know that if you just breathe on the quarterback in the spring game, they call it a sack. But he had four legitimate mm. opportunities to make sacks in that game. So I, I look for those two guys to be called out a lot, along with uh, middle linebacker Niles Morgan, who is a guy who he'll, he'll hit you like you stole his lunch money. Alan, they, they have 15 returning starters coming back. Uh, do you get the sense that this team is confident heading into 2017? You mentioned that Brian Kelly feels like he's got a special team here but hasn't said it, but do you get the gauge from the players or the sense that they are confident as well, especially with the change in, in the coaching staff? I do get that feeling. You know, sometimes that feeling can be false because you're only playing against yourself. Uh, but they see the progress that they're making. Uh, and I think it all started in the weight room. And it also uh, started with Coach Kelly doing exit interviews with a lot of the players and having those players express, you know, how they felt about the program, you know, what uh, they wanted from him. And so one of the things I'll say is at the spring game, uh, Coach Kelly was behind the play every time. I never heard him yell once, <laughs> which – you know, most of the time he, he will yell, and, and most coaches do, but he didn't yell once. He just, there's a calmness about him that I see that lets me know he's confident. And then when the players are talked to, they're exuding that same type of confidence. So, you know, hopefully it will be able to translate into victories. Alan, it's always a pleasure when you're on the show. Great information today. We hope you enjoyed it. Oh, I did. You know, I'm basically living a dream. I get to watch my favorite football team, you know, every weekend. The best part about it is I don't have to pay for the parking pass. <laughs> Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. Great insight and information from former Notre Dame running back Alan Pinkett about Brian Kelly and the Fighting Irish for 2017, Rich. It sounded great. Alan has great insight, but I'm not buying it. I'm picking Notre Dame at 4-8 for 2017. How dare you? Why? No That's good? sacrilegious. <laughs> Four and eight in back-to-back seasons, Well, he's really. off the air now. He's a personal no, friend I of the know, show. I, I can know. say that now. I, I Listen, what I took, it's off-season, so who knows. But I, I, what I took was that there's a, a calm in that program right now, that there's not a sort of frenetic, you know, hyperbolic sort of nervousness that they have to turn things around. And, and when you look at the talent in this program, Brandon Wimbush has a good supporting cast, Joshua Adams behind him. Equinemius St. Brown. How about Alizé Mack? 
the tight end. Missed all of last year, big-time tight end. And I'll take one more step as well. I really like this offensive line. I think they have two potential first-rounders in Quentin Nelson, Red Bank Catholic, and uh, Mike McGlinchey, the left tackle. So the offense should be very good. I'm not sold on the defense. I'm not sold on, you know, let's see Dalen Hayes once the season begins. Pass rush has been weak for a while. Uh, Todd Light needs to develop defensive backs better. So, I, I But I think they're better than 500 this year. Though. Well, here you brought up the, the sack total. Uh, 14 total sacks last year. 14, Rich, yeah. through 12. That's 1.2 or 1.1 per game. You need to get a better pass rush. And the, and the fact of the run support, again, it's been a slow decline the other way, 171, 176, 180 last year. And you look at the losses. I mean, Duke, Virginia Tech. I mean, Stanford. They wore them down at the point of attack. I just don't think it's a quick fix. I, I know they have talent there, but let's talk about the offensive side of the ball quickly in terms of when's the last time they had an explosive running back? They had C.J. Procise. I know they had Sierra Wood, but I mean an elite back, mm. a guy that really could take over the game. They have a guy in Josh Adams now, but I can't, I, I can't recall one over the last decade, in my opinion. Well, I like Josh Adams, though. I mean, yeah. I, I like Josh Adams. I like Dexter Williams. I, I think they're a good one-two punch. I'm not saying they're Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis kind of a territory. I, I, they're not all American running backs. But I think you could pick up a lot of first downs with those two backs. Again, running behind one of the top ten offensive lines in the country is going to help. A lot is going to hinge on Brandon Wimbush. What I like about Wimbush is, you know, Allen talked a lot about the physicality. That's great. Strong arm, athletic outside the pocket. What I like is, despite the lack of experience, very mature, very smart, good football character. Not just a good character kid, but good football character. He's going to bring it on the practice field. He's going to bring it all season long. There's going to be a learning curve, and that learning curve is going to be steep in Week 2 against Georgia and that front seven and Kirby Smart's defense. But I'm excited by Brandon Wimbush. The reason why I can't get beyond 7, maximum 8-4, maximum 8-4 is the defensive play. And that's why I asked Allen about Sean Crawford, because for Mike Elko, who wants to bring more defensive pressure from different angles, if Sean Crawford is healthy, Achilles last year, If he's healthy, he has some Honey Badger-esque type characteristics. So he's the kind of corner that you could see flying off the edge, supporting that front seven that doesn't have, you know, a real sack specialist right now. I agree with that. That's great points, Mr. Sermonello, counselor. Now I'm going to back it up here. Let's look at the schedule, though. They have some opponents that are going to knock them in the mouth from a physicality perspective and test the will of that front seven. It starts week one with Temple. New head coach and Jeff Collins, but the philosophy hasn't changed. They're going to still run the football between the tackles. Georgia, they only allowed 144 rushing yards per game. They have a solid secondary that gave up 180 through the air with Dominique Sanders. They're going to face Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. In week number two, it's at home. Then another physical offense and defensive lines in Boston College at Michigan State. Your Miami O and Gus Raglan 
at North Carolina. I think they win that game because I'm down on yeah. North Carolina. USC after a bye week. Sam Darnold. Bradley Chubb and NC State, one of the most underrated ACC defensive fronts that only allowed 108 rushing yards per game, senior quarterback in Ryan Finley, at Miami with an upgraded defense in Mark Rick, at Stanford, Rich. Those could all be losses. You have morphed into Tom Cruise and a few good men. And for people who don't know, Joe Lisi, actually better looking than Tom Cruise. I think I am. So I, I, I'm going to give you a you can't handle the truth right exactly. now. Exactly. Because I, four and eight, I mean, I, I, I just don't see the eight losses on that schedule. It's a difficult schedule. There are certainly landmines. Georgia, USC, Stanford are going to be tough games. Let me ask you a question. Um, what is the number that costs Brian Kelly his job? Because I I could see seven and five, eight and four might be a good year, but is that enough to bring Kelly back for another season? You're talking about a team in 2012 that was in the national championship, Rich, at, at, against Alabama. They got crushed by A.J. McCarron and the crew, but two years ago, they were 10-3 and three overall and lost those three games by a total of 20 points. Now, the problems over the last two years have still been on the front seven. They cannot shut down the run consistently. Seven and five after last year, after Malik Zaire transfers, after Deshaun Kaiser leaves school early, his handling of that whole situation... I, I think he needs to go. Honestly, I really think nine and three or ten and two. If he keeps his job, I put him on the hot seat. I, he's yeah. one of my top ten coaches. If so. that's the case, then we might be looking at you know a magnified coaching search for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I mean, that's that's still one of the two or three biggest jobs in college football. One of the biggest jobs in American sports. That opening. Do you go, Bob Stoops? I don't know. You know, Bob Stoops right now is saying he doesn't want to coach for the foreseeable future. I mean, they all say that. Yeah, I, but I mean, I, I think Stoops wants a couple of years away from football. I, I think he'll take at least two years away from football. I know this is off topic a little bit, but I, I mean, that is a difficult place to coach. There are a lot of restrictions in terms of academics. You're under the microscope like really no one else is in college football. You have your own network essentially with NBC. What, what what would be an ideal coach? I mean, we used to think Urban Meyer, but he said at Ohio State. I mean, do you, do you think about Chip Kelly? I mean, do, you, do you go after the former Ducks coach? How about Les Miles? I wouldn't do it. Why? I'm not that into I Les Miles. Be, oh, I think Les Miles underachieved at the end of his career. I agree it's, with you, but I think with this rebirth at Notre Dame where he's not part of a conference, it is even though they're associated with the ACC, they play six games it's less my it's it seems like he, he'd be like the mad scientist there. Mm. well I, is I see, it a good fit yeah i see let less miles at more of a middling program i i like really? i i thought less miles could have landed at a purdue before jeff ah. brom i think that's what i don't think he's getting an a-list job again i i wouldn't know at this stage of his career and at this stage of his life and after how things finished and his resistance to make offensive changes I'm not looking at, at Les Miles unless it's a sort of a B-lister job right That's now. That's incredible because when you think about how he fell off from 2007 until where he is now, out of a job, out of football, 
I mean, it's incredible. Look at Ed Ogeron's success in terms of at Ole Miss didn't really have the type of success like Les Miles. Les Miles won a national championship. Yeah, I, li- I know I, it's they say yeah. it's under Saban's, you know. Well, it was also a long time ago. I mean, it depends on what your trajectory is. Don't give me the full Don't give me the full balance sheet. I want to know what your last couple of years have looked like. And for Les Miles, there was a steady decline. He couldn't turn things around last year when he had to. Almost lost his job in November of 2015. So, you know, I love Les Miles. I think he's good for football. He's entertaining. He's a heck of a coach. He'll recruit. But my prediction is uh, I I don't think he's going to be in one of those top-tier jobs. And in terms of Notre Dame, I know everybody's going to bring up you know, Chip Kelly, because he's the hottest free agent that's out there at a college level. You're making funny faces like you smelled some bad fish. I, nah, just Chip Kelly. I mean, he let, I understand offensive ingenuity, but defensively, they haven't really stepped it up, even at Oregon when he was there. I mean, and that's, I think they need a guy, they need a hard nosed coach. Do you think Chip Kelly fits that? I don't think he does. You know who I think the next Notre Dame coach could be if Kelly lasts a little while longer? This won't happen in 2018, but Mike Sanford. Really? The current head coach at Western Kentucky. The folks at Notre Dame, folks in South Bend love them. I'm not talking about right now. He's going to have just one year under his belt at Western Kentucky. It'll be too early. But Mike Sanford is someone to the young coach, well-respected. They love him in South Bend. The administration does. I think Mike Sanford could be the long term, but if it's 2018, I don't know where they go. Does the does the John Gruden talk inevitably uh, come up at that point? Is Gruden really going to take that job eventually? No, I mean he's making enough money just working in TV. Exactly. I'll tell you a perfect fit, not to go off the beaten path. In my, we're I, already in the woods right that's now. That's all right. We're talking Notre Dame. Char- Charlie Strong is a perfect fit for them. I think Charlie Strong. Yeah. If he takes South Florida to ten and two. And Brian Kelly goes six and six or seven and five. I would go after Charlie Strong. I wouldn't do it. Not based on what he did at Texas. He uh, failed under the big un, under the bright lights. I would never do it. I, he failed in his opportunity at a major program uh, already. I, 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 Notre Dame needs a, a recognizable name. Yeah. I understand Mike Sanford. We'll see. This is why we're here each and every Saturday. We love college football. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll be talking about some players you haven't heard from. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on college football today we're going to go through some players that you might not have heard of one quarterback that i think can make some noise in 2017 is riley ferguson with memphis rich this is my pick to win the other side of the aac he's got two big play wide receivers in miller and ty lee but you're talking about a quarterback that put up dynamic numbers 32 touchdown passes in 2016 i'm with you uh tennessee transfer what i really like about riley ferguson is last year was his first with the program so i didn't know the personnel didn't know the coach mike norvell but year two for norvell and for ferguson so i expect to see more explosive plays to anthony miller in particular i'm going to give you one from smu chad morris gradually getting that program up to speed he has i think one of the five or six best wide receivers in the country in Cortland sutton 6'4, 
212, 215's got an NFL body, now has a second season with Ben Hicks, their quarterback. So Cortland Sutton, a rare junior from SMU who will leave at the end with eligibility left. He is an absolute beast in that offense. So, you know, we look at these players, we forget about teams like SMU, but they are harboring some big, big time talent. And when you think about his production last year, if they had quarterback Matt Davis that got injured at the at the beginning of the year, they were forced to go with a very young, inexperienced quarterback. I mean, he might have put up even more dynamic numbers. And Chad Morris, I think, has done a fantastic job. He's the former offensive coordinator at Clemson. I think they have a legitimate chance to become bowl eligible this year. They crushed Houston last year in a dominating win, so keep an eye out for the Mustangs. I, if you're right, and I think you might be, uh, my prediction is Chad Morris in 2018, College Station. Really? Yes, he is going College to replace Station. Kevin Sumlin. I, I, I think Chad Morris, Texas born and bred, former high school coach, knows how to recruit that territory. Listen, if he had stayed at Clemson as the offensive coordinator for Dabo uh, Sweeney, uh, if he had stayed another year, he would have gotten a Power 5 job at that point. Now he's turning around SMU. He's going to stay in the state of Texas. going to be an SEC coach next year. Wow, that would be... Uh, well, I agree with you in terms of Sumlin. We said it last week in terms of his success hinges upon them with nine wins. They need to win a bowl season. I picked them at six and six. So if they're at six and six, there's no way he's there in College Station, especially with the negativity surrounding the program. I mean, Chad Morris, I mean, that would be a great fit. But defensively, is he the guy for that job? Well, he's going to have to, you know, maybe retain a John Chavis, somebody who has SEC ties. Uh, you know, SMU doesn't play any defense. They don't really get many defenders. I, but Justin Lawler, their defensive end, an underrated player. I want to throw one more out to you while we're talking off-the-radar players. Richie James of oh. Middle Tennessee State. I love these kids that are overlooked in high school, two-star players, and then boom, one or two years into it, they all of a sudden look like SEC-type players. So Richie James, just 5'9", but a major playmaker along with Brent Stockstill, their uh, quarterback That's in where Tennessee. I was going. Brent Stockstill, 31 touchdown passes last year, made it to a bowl game. He was injured throughout the season, but they play Vanderbilt week number one, Rich. A, a very intriguing battle. As you know, Ralph Webb and the Commodores like to pound the football if Stockstill and the crew jump up early, could have put a lot of pressure on Kyle Shermer week number one. Big game for Middle Tennessee, not just on the field, but from a recruiting standpoint, they recruit a lot of similar players. So for Middle Tennessee to go up against an SEC opponent, that's a big deal for Rick Stockstill, the head coach. It's also revenge because they did go to Nashville last year and lost that ball game in an extended game that was really uh, extended due to bad weather, but we'll see how it plays out. Stay with us each and every Saturday. We'll be with you from 9 to 12 the rest of the year. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.